Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Yes, I know we missed the last pull list update. This time it was some technical difficulties. Albert said his internet was down. And then the next night I had turned off my phone and completely forgot we were supposed to do it. So we'll get pull list back up this coming Monday. Aside from that, Welcome to Kingdom Casts, your podcast, your one-stop shop for comic books, entertainment news, movie news, and just generalized bullcrap. For the week of November 11th, 2020, joining us once again is Sandra, Great Little Seafood Place Swindle. (laughs) I'm Stan Daniel. With me, as always, is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. Maybe you can clear something up for me. I'm a little bit confused here. Okay. I've got this flyer for a million MAGA march in Washington, D.C., and it has the D.C. logo on it. Is Pamela Lifford going to be a part of this? Gosh. <laughs> is, it really called, is it really called MAGA march? Uh, that, that's, what the, that's what the flyer says. Oh, it actually does say that on the flyer. I did not notice that. <laughs> I don't know, and I'm sure someone's already got lawyers on that. So, Proud Boy Sousa. No, I'm sorry. Proud Boy USA. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Saturday, November 14th. And they, they just swiped the damn DC logo for DC Comics. This is just literally their logo. Yeah, that's it. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to say something to get us all in trouble, but... <laughs> I don't know why they just didn't put the bat symbol on there. <laughs> Special guest speaker, Rob Liefeld. <laughs> the mega march. So what we're talking about here is that y'all know what it is. I ain't going to go into it. It's Proud Boys. Look it up. Google it. I don't even want to talk about them. But we did want to talk about this because what they're doing for their march is they made up these posters and they just blatantly took the DC logo and slapped it right in the middle of this ring of uh, golden leaves around it. (laughs) Didn't change it. Didn't do anything. It's just bam. It's DC Comics logo. There we go. DC Comics right here. (laughs) Jeez. That's why I was all for the gay guys appropriating the Proud Boys tag, hashtag, and putting up all their favorite at the uh, suggestion pictures. of uh, George Takai. Yeah, that was yes. clever. Yeah. So Warner Brothers has got to file a suit, right? Yeah, they've already got lawyers on it. Yeah, I mean, there's no way. The moment I see this, if if I'm working at Warner Brothers and I see this crap come across my desk after I take my blood pressure medicine, <laughs> I'm immediately like, I want every lawyer we got right now. First, you'd have to check and see if you still had a job. 
Yeah, given uh, the bloodbath that's going on over there. Yeah, that's true. The first thing you do at Warner Brothers, if you see something like this, is before you start filing suits, you actually call somebody at AT AT&T and ask them, did did you sell us? (laughs) (laughs) And if you sold us, could you tell us the name of the group you sold us to before we start filing lawsuits? (laughs) (laughs) So that's it. That's the blood pressure raising, but yet funny news from DC. Unfortunately, DC is suffering another round of layoffs, as is all of Warner AT&T, following suit with Disney, of course. There's not much that can be done about these layoffs. And DC chose to go ahead and announce that Mary... Javins? It's Marie Javins. I'm sorry. Marie Javins is now the sole editor-in-chief at DC Comics. I didn't know they were going to narrow it down to one, but I guess that makes sense. I still kind of figure that the main person to watch here is Daniel Cherry III from eSports. Well, I can't believe they let go of, what is her name, Michelle Wells. I mean, she was the one that was... Well, did they completely let go of her? Yeah, yeah, she's gone. She was doing their young adult program, which they've had success with. Given the current COVID state of things, they may have intended to have two editor-in-chiefs, but the reality of it is, is they can save money there, and so they've got to save money there. Well, that's stupid. I mean, I'm sorry, that's just stupid. Why would you get rid of the one that's heading the division that is going to have the most growth? Well, the young adult market is hopping. Yeah, I'm not arguing that with you. I'm just saying that uh, maybe they know things about Marie Javins that we don't and feel she's the most qualified to be able to pull off both ends of it. Uh, you know, only time will tell. We're just going to have to deal with it as is at the moment. You got to understand, before we get the full facts on everything, everybody is under non-disclosure agreements. Yeah. And so it could be six months or longer before anybody's able to speak up. On anything, I would really attribute the second round of layoffs to COVID, to cutbacks for COVID, because this is, you know, it's completely changed the entertainment industry and how we consume Mm -hmm. entertainment. Speaking of entertainment, (laughs) do y'all know what 48 Hours is? Mm, Is that the the Andy Murphy movie? No, 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 no. 48 Hours TV series. Oh, yeah. The CBS. new series, yeah. Yeah. You've got 48 hours to solve this mystery, but basically it's become any murder ever whatsoever, and it doesn't matter how long it takes. We're just going to do it because it gets ratings, right? The episode she's watching has this guy who has a girlfriend who's married. The guy also starts courting some girl from Russia and gets her shipped over here and eventually ends up shooting the girl from Russia in the back of the head in order to clear the way for him to be with the married woman. <laughs> I don't care anything about these things, but I started paying attention when when one of the officers they were interviewing said, I thought we were on to the right person when we confiscated his laptop and saw in his computer history where he was asking on 4chan information on how to build a time machine. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. (laughs) I've made a terrible mistake and I'd like to go back in time to correct it. Can you direct me to where I can find information on how to time travel? For the handful of overseas listeners we've gotten, if the election situation did not clear up any confusion on your part about what's going over here with the populace, that should. (laughs) Could you imagine even thinking that? I've killed somebody. I know what I'll do. I'll I'll figure out how to time travel. (laughs) 
Huh. I mean, it, it, I mean, if it was real, it'd work. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Which begs me to ask: How much of the populace believes time travel is a reality? What? Clearly, he thought it was a possibility. He went on a board and asked. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> I mean, we not. <laughs> Let's review some comic books. All right. Boom Studios. We only find them when they're dead. Number three, writer Al Ewing and art by Simone DeMio. This was kind of the action-packed issue. We had character building last issue, set up the first issue, and now in the third issue, we've got action. Yeah, I didn't care too much for the art in this issue. Well, you say I was right the opposite. I had made a note about the art. You may or may not remember, or you may or may not seen. They may or may not still do these, but do you remember they, they used to take Japanese anime back in the 80s, and they would chop it up and put it in comic book format or graphic novel format and release it like Marvel did with Akira under I mean, their that, epic year? What, that was just a translated version of the manga where they colored it. They didn't chop it up. Oh, they didn't chop up the anime and put it in there? I swore they took photos. They were, there may have been some type of cinecomic thing or something from that end. But the, thing Marvel, the thing Marvel put out was just the manga translated. They just did it in American format and colored it. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I, what I'm talking about is the cinescope things where they take the animation and they put it into comic book format. Yeah. That's what this reminded me of. They did a lot of kids books like that, too, over the years. Yeah, it looked like they were taking something from an animated series and putting it together in this. I thought the art was fairly solid in this along those lines. It was conveying action well. Yeah. Overall, what do you think? The writing's still great. The writing I gave a four, but the art I gave a two, so the dynamic I gave a three. Well, I gave the writing a three because I thought there was more action in this issue and we didn't move along as much. I gave the art a four and I gave the dynamic a three. So we basically tied up there for different reasons. My score is 3.3. Your score is 3.3. I think the thing with the art is they kind of went heavy on the blur in some places. There's a lot of blur. I think I think yeah. a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's not a lot of detail in a bunch of the panels. And it's yeah, there, so it's, it's like, just big swaths of big solid chunks of color and blur to cover it up. There's a lot of blur, a lot of flat colors. Like when you color digitally, you color in large flats. I like the story, I and mean, I, I don't I don't mind the art. I, I don't I think for what they're trying to do, a space fight, I think it's great. I like the art for it. I like the writing. So I would say I would give it fours all around. So you give it straight fours. Mm-hmm. And Albert and I, for different reasons, give it 3.3. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I still think it's solid. I still want to follow it. I just didn't get as much from this issue as I did last issue. First issue is the setup. Second issue, character development. Third issue, we have action. Majority of it is action all the way through. A little bit of character development there, but not a great deal. Dark Horse Comics. Hellboy. BPRD, The Seven Wives, writer Mike Minolia, art by Adam Hughes. I thought it was quick, easy, in and out, just a Hellboy supernatural mystery. Yep, I thought it was a great little one shot. You're not going to go wrong with something like this, not with Mike Minolia writing it and Adam Hughes doing the interior art, no less. The whole thing. Yeah, he did. The entire thing was done by Adam Hughes. I did notice he was relying heavily on shadows. His, well, that's because he was at least trying to let it flow with Minolia's work. I was thinking it could just be a thematic choice. Yeah, I given, assume that's what that was. Yeah, because Hillboy is supposed to have that goth tone to it. It's Mike Minolia's creation. Nobody knows him better. 
when Hellboy speaks his dialogue, but Hellboy is, he's just there in the capacity of Hellboy. He's there to walk through this incident. It's just yeah. another incident that's taken place with the BPRD. And it's a solid story. It's a solid one shot. I've been saying things like, oh, if you like Hellboy, you're going to like this Hellboy book. Well, the fact of the matter is, is if you'd like to try taste for Hellboy and haven't before, well, here's your chance. I think this book is like, what, four ninety nine? I think so. Something like that. Yeah, four ninety nine. Pick it up. It's simple and straightforward. Hellboy has better stories than this, but this is a good story. I enjoyed it. It has what you want. You want to be entertained. I gave it fours across the board. I gave the writing a four. I gave the art and dynamic a five. Oh, cool beans. Okay, so even better. There you go. DC Comics. Okay, as some of you may or may not know, and as most of you probably don't care, half of the podcast is recorded on Tuesday nights, and the other half of the podcast is recorded on Wednesday nights. Sandra was unable to join us for the Tuesday night podcast where we review the DC books. So Albert and I went ahead and reviewed the DC books without her, but it just wouldn't be right. It just doesn't feel right not having Sandra chime in at this point. And so we've here at Kingdom Casts have created something called virtual Sandra. As you sit back and enjoy the DC reviews, we're just going to intermittently slap random sayings from Sandra into the reviews so you at home will never know the difference other than the fact that I've just explained it all to you. There's an awfully, awfully early rumor that Johns and Fabok is doing a one-shot Three Jokers extra issue. Oh, really? Yeah. And and what is this about, do you think? The theory is is that, you know, de- death metal ends. Mm-hmm. Then we get the two months of the remnants of 5G is pretty much what it is. And then we're trying it out, reformat, and do different format and stuff for a couple months. And then we're supposed to get that. They're going to play awfully fast and loose with continuity or just straight yeah. up just ignore it. So we're getting pretty much hyper time or what was originally pitched in, I think, in the 90s, early 2000s. I guess hyper time to some extent. The Omniverse is not what Mark Waid had in mind. No, no. But the idea is like it's whatever, you know, just tell the stories you want to tell. The theory is there's a possibility that that one shot would maybe do, I don't know, maybe it would do something for the Batman line. They'd sort of run a, a Batman line off that book. That'd be interesting. Because it'd be interesting to have follow-ups to that where, you know, where, where Batman's known Joker for years. And Well, there's several out-of-continuity, purposefully out-of-continuity items in the three Jokers. And it's not items that you can point at and say, aha, this proves it. It's just subtle things. For instance, the uniform that Batgirl is wearing is the full Batgirl armor. Yeah. In the three Jokers, where his in her normal comic book, she's barely got on a face mask. Well, which, I don't. Well, things like that, I don't really focus on because a yeah. lot of the times when they let a, Nor a writer you. or just a big artist do a Batman, especially on Batman books, yeah, they let him draw them. They restrict on New Fifty Two those and, uniforms for a little bit because Jim Lee did the stuff and then Capullo did his version so they but most of the part the, I mean like when Libra Mayho would do something like he would just draw the Batman costume he wanted to draw well that's what I'm saying the things that they did inside of the three Jokers that could lead you to think that it's outside of continuity are things that can easily be ignored or explained within continuity. Well, the main thing is that Batman knows who Joker is and has known since day 10 of, of meeting the dude. Yeah. Uh, but remember, at the end of Doomsday Clock, you had all that stuff that got swept under the table for 
for death metal. I mean, they could go do stuff with that because there was a lot of oh yeah, little, like, little, look, little all of neat Doomsday ideas Clock. and stuff in there. So all of Doomsday Clock got swept under the table because of death metal. And you talk about oh god, frustrating the seminal restart button was Doomsday Clock, and instead we ignore it for this stuff that we're getting weekly. Yeah, I'm going to have to go kick somebody's ass. And speaking of that. Cue flipping sound. Dark Knight's Death Metal Infinite Hour Extreme with three X's in it by various writers and artists. It turns out that this is predominantly a Lobo issue. Thank God. You say that. Well, I didn't think it was a very good Lobo issue. I liked it. I was wondering whether or not you would. I didn't yeah, I care for it. Good. I thought it was great. Here, here's the problem with death metal is that the main book, beyond the shutting the whole line down thing and everyone having to revolve around it, is like the main book takes itself way too serious. Yes, it does. Uh, not necessarily the art, because Capullo's just drawing back crap everywhere, but the, the main story itself is a little on the over-serious side for its stupidity. A lot of the, the side things that have been good have sort of played pretty haphazardly with whatever Snyder was doing to some extent, or just goofed off like this book, and they sort of worked out okay. Lockjaw! understand what you're saying with, oh, it takes itself too seriously, but now we've got this Lobo book, which kind of pokes fun at But that would be like somebody doing a parody of Mad Magazine at this point. Mad Magazine hasn't been funny in God knows how long. And so doing a parody of this magazine not being funny is even less funny. At least it is to me. And that's what this strikes me has. I actually made the note, this book is too stupid, even for Lobo fans. No, it ain't too stupid for Lobo fans. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. This, this <laughs> book is actually not stupid enough th- to be a Lobo book. Okay, here's my problem. I've got a few side notes here. How is it that the Green Lanterns do not kill Lobo on sight or Superman doesn't throw him into the Phantom Zone? Because you can't kill him. Let's assume that the Green Lanterns can't find a way to kill him, which I kind of think Guy on a good day could. But why doesn't Superman toss him into the Phantom Zone? Because every time we see Lobo, immediately in the first panel, the body count is over 100. You're overthinking it, Stan. It's Lobo. Well, yeah, Lobo's a knockoff of Wolverine. Lobo was meant to be a parody of Wolverine when he started, and then things got wildly out of hand. Well, when he started, he had that horrible disco suit. Yeah. Spandex get up. Yes, yes, he was Space Wolverine. That was the joke. Really telling you, that was the intent of the of Giffen, was he was making fun of Wolverine with him by having him say things like bastitch and frag, because Wolverine couldn't say the word f***, so Wolverine would say flaming all the time. And they'd have to constantly come up with stuff for Wolverine's cuss words. I'm not personally a big Lobo fan. I, I can't immediately think of anything that I've seen him in that he appealed to me in any shape, manner, or form, other than the Superman animated adventures appearance. I actually liked him in that. When they used him in the cartoons, they did pretty good. Yeah, but they... Like, to me, they Lobo's also, reduced... You either do a one-shot or a miniseries about once a year with Lobo, mm-hmm. and beyond him showing up in a comic book for an issue or two, that's about as much as you really need to use Lobo. Yeah. I don't think Lobo's a good recurring character. I think he's a nice one-off gag for Giffen every so often. A side note to this, Batman, it's really beginning to feel like Batman means absolutely nothing anymore. If everybody's Batman, nobody is Batman. You layer that with the three Jokers by Jeff Johns, it's becoming more and more apparent in my mind that the Batman that I've spent my lifespan with 
he ended there with the three Jokers. That kind of seems to be where the Batman that I knew is just going to end, and that's it. I blame Snyder for this. I blame Snyder and the entire company for having successfully make Batman mean next to nothing. This book kind of drove it home, even though it was doing it in a tongue-in-cheek manner. What exactly are you? I'm Bruce Wayne who injected... uh, What is Lobo? Cesnarian? Yeah, Cesarian or something something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I injected Cesarian DNA into my veins and I became the main bastich. Yeah, okay. Yeah, great. I mean, is that any different than some of the origins they've shown for these stupid Batman characters? No, it's the exact origin they've shown. Exactly, that's the point. I've injected this into me. I've I've experimented in the same way that Dr. Manhattan did. It's it's just, you know, I know they're doing it to be funny. It's just that it's not funny because it's been done with the intent of us taking it seriously so many times. The talking bat car was not funny either. They put that in the main series, and I'm just over this. I'm I'm over this. I gave this a score of zero. You could help humanity and donate the $5 you would have spent on this overhyped toilet paper to Wikipedia because I noticed they're doing their drive again. I can't say that I agree with you, Stan. Well, I gave the writing a four. <laughs> <laughs> the art of three and the dynamic of a uh, four as well. You bastitch, you. <laughs> you didn't like the little one-page goofy origins? No, I did not. <laughs> you didn't? No, I was so tired. I'm serious when I said I've read the three Jokers, and now every time Batman makes an appearance somewhere, it just doesn't seem like it's Batman. It just seems like some sort of a mock-up thing. I think between the Joker War that Tynan wrote and the three Jokers by Jeff Johns, I think those two books closed out Batman for me. Whenever death metal ends, that's the end of all that. No one's going to really acknowledge that in the books. Well, we're going, yeah, we'll just have to wait. Because Didio ain't around to make them. When Arthur Conan Doyle brought the Sherlock Holmes stories to an end, he threw Sherlock and Moriarty off a cliff together. I mean, that's a classic ending that's been used over and over and over again. And that was meant, in Conan Doyle's mind, to be the end of Sherlock Holmes. But there is such an outcry from the readership and the base viewers that he eventually had to bring Sherlock back. But he had said in articles or interviews, he had said in later interviews, it just wasn't Sherlock anymore. And I I think that's where I am with Batman. And I think if I'm there that way, there's a lot of other fans that are quite possibly feeling the same thing. I mean, I don't disagree or think you're wrong on any level of that, but I just think they could have whoever write Batman for a miniseries next year, and it could be like an old, you may have the same feeling you did when you did Three Jokers or something. They could very well, but I'm just right now, so far, I'm afraid that between Tynan's Joker War conclusion and Jeff John's Three Jokers, I I kind of feel they've shut a door on the uh, Batman that a lot of us grew up with. Also, from DC this week, all Batman all the time. Punchline number one by James Tynan the fourth. That's T four and Sam Johns. Both of them are writing it. Art by Mirka and Dolfo of unnatural fame and several other books that she's done for Image. 
that belong exclusively to her. I was kind of surprised to see her on this book. Punchline to me was mildly interesting, but again, it comes down to what we were just discussing. I, I think Jeff Johns has put such a definitive end on it, so has Tynan, that it feels, this feels redundant. It feels like DC wants an edgier information age Harley Quinn because they've had to soften, soften. Yeah, soften. They, what they want, the old version of Harley Quinn back, but they cannot do that in the comics. Yeah, because they, they've they, done away with all that. It's not just that. They, it's not just the comics they've done away with. They've softened Harley Quinn yeah. to sell her to the little kids and the mass market. It's the same problem we had with Wolverine when that 1992 animated X-Men series went out. You know, Wolverine's great until, as a parent, you realize those claws do one thing and they're not there to stun the opponents. Now, so you've got to give Wolverine... What is Wolverine if he can't cut into people? A Canadian? That's it. (laughs) That was pretty good. So that's what they've done to Harley Quinn. We're somehow retconning all the hundreds of people that Harley has killed. Now we're bringing forth Punchline and we're making her edgier because she wears purple and black. Marketing says that this is what she looks like. Punchline to me looks exactly like a character that went through four or five marketing trials before they put her to the pages of Batman. Yeah, so the artist was like, what do I want to see girls dressed up at conventions wearing? Hmm. <laughs> Let's give her a slightly see-through top with some big boobs. And- I like tiny. Well, yeah, and now we're going to make her a teenager. Did you notice that? I mean, the punchline that showed up in Batman to me was striking me as being in her late 20s. Now she looks like maybe she's 18. It depends. When they draw her in her, her like, a, I guess, civilian clothes. Yeah. She looks stupidly young. I mean, they, they put her in her, her normal costume and looks fine, but... Frighteningly yeah. young. I would go so far as to say when she's in her civilian clothes. Out of all the things Joker's done, being a pedophile would be pretty low on that yeah, list. Yeah, I started to say, of all the things Joker's <laughs> done, children ain't one of them. Yeah, we've got that whole scene between her and the Joker. Not quite sure what we're going for here. What this strikes me has is punchline is to Harley Quinn as Heathcliff is to Garfield. A yeah, bad copy of something that's already outlived its shelf life. What? As GoBots is to Transformers. Yeah, GoBots to Transformers. Yeah, that's a good analogy, too. More people will catch on to that GoBots Transformers analogy than they will to Heathcliff. Where the hell is Heathcliff? I watched that Heathcliff cartoon a good bit when I was a kid. I liked it. I never liked Heathcliff. I like It Never Hurts to Help. God, I can't remember that cat's name. But he was absolutely hysterical. Eek the cat. Eek the cat. Yes, I always. He was from the nineties. He came around about the same time the uh, devil dinosaurs or the the dinosaurs. Yeah, he split the cartoon. It was him and the thunder lizards. Is that thunder lizards? The fabulous thunder lizards, which were hilarious because. The Thunder Lizards were trying were like a commando team or something. Yeah. And they were trying to kill the two humans. Yeah, constantly trying to and kill one the two. Can, one human's like, look at me, I invented an escalator. <laughs> I miss that cartoon. That was like, I don't know about that, Bob. Another was just like some guy. The other caveman kept inventing crap and I don't even know if the caveman really even acknowledged the lizards. The lizards always somehow screwed up trying to get them. No, I don't know that they ever knew they were being targeted. <laughs> Those two cartoons were great. If you've Those never were seen good them, cartoons. Yeah, you need to go back and look at them. Out of all of the nostalgia coming back, I don't know why we haven't brought back Eat the Cat and the Fabulous Thunder Lizards. Is it possible anymore 
You remember they would do a big storyline with like Magneto when Magneto was a villain, and then they would walk away from Magneto for three years before they brought him back? I thought he'd just joined the team for three years, and then he'd stab him in the back again. They brought him into the team, and then he left the team, and then three years later, we had the Jim Lee story. Yeah. Same thing with Doom. Doom would only appear every so often, once every couple of years. Ultron would only appear once every couple of years, and now you turn around. It's like Thanos. My God, it, it had to be a big event when Thanos show up, but now you pick up any Marvel comic and there's Thanos in it. Hi, kids, just passing through. Lockjaw. They need to walk away from the Joker and his entire circle for about five years or so until somebody has something decent to offer up. Uh, yeah. Punchline is not decent to, uh, for this. It's Harley Quinn version 2.0, except she's not funny. And it's kind of disturbing on a few levels. But don't worry, it, they made her cosplay friendly. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. She's cosplay friendly. But <laughs> it's disturbing on a few levels, and it's not that good sort of disturbing. Again, it's disturbing because the way she's one moment when she's in civilian clothes, she may be 14, 15 years old. And then suddenly when she dresses up as this thing, she's, this is a bad book. This is a bad book. Or maybe it's just us and we're old enough to where anyone under the age of 30 looks 14. No, I don't know that. First off, I love Mirka and Dolfo's art. I really do. But there was a problem with it here. There were some panels that looked fabulous, just outstanding. And there were also some panels that didn't look at all like Mirko and Dolfo had done them. So I don't know if that was in the finishing. I don't know if they were pressed for time on this. Yeah, I don't know about that either, because at some point I thought maybe there was two artists on this book. I did, too. I did too, but I'm only finding Murka's name on it. Murka has done a natural, and I'm not speaking to the quality of the story. I'm speaking to the quality of her art. I forget the Victorian book she's done with the vampires, but that's the art and it is fabulous. The art and the natural is outstanding. There's some high points in the art in this book, and there's some low points in the art in this book. It strikes me as there was something going on more than Murka and Dolfo so far as their art was concerned. when you look through this book it's pretty much the first few pages and the last couple pages with joker are the better pages yeah they and are a lot of that stuff in the middle especially when it's with the uh, other character and he's talking about the, the podcast or whatever yes yeah those those pages are really just slapped together yeah that's exactly the way i felt on it too murka is a great talent and that does not reflect consistently in this book no so i need to point that out there Technically, the dialogue was fine. I was, you know, The story is the story you'd expect this character to have, so no surprises. I gave the writing a three. I gave the art a three. I gave the dynamic a two. My score for punchline number one was 2.7. I gave the writing a two, the art a three, and dynamic a two. I wrestled with that score on the writing as well. I almost gave it a two. So since you gave it a two... I'm going to go ahead and go with you. So, yeah, I give the writing a two also. Love Tynan. It's just that this character is feeling forced and unnecessary. I agree. Namor is awesome. Superman, number 27 by writer Brian Michael Bendis and artist Ivan Rees. Probably the best single Superman issue Bendis has written. This The current arc has been an okay arc. He spent so long... In action comics, he still is on the same arc that he's always been on. If Superman would have started off with something like this, it would have been a better book overall. You've been more of a fan of this current Superman story arc than I have. Yeah. I've wavered back and forth on it, but 
so far as dialogue and most of it, the vast majority of the dialogue in it is internal Superman dialogue. Mm -hmm. I thought the dialogue was well written. The art, hard to beat that art. Yeah, it's great art. Hard to beat Ivan Race's art. But the nicest thing from this is, even though I still think it's a far cry from most of Bendis' Marvel and independent work, it was a very solid issue, and it showed a different aspect to Superman that I really do believe we should be made more aware of. And what that is, his attempts to resolve things peacefully at first. Why is he taking trash talk from the human torch? And, you know, when Darkseid shows up, there's not a lot of negotiation that's already been tried. So, yeah. yeah, you're going to get right to the hitting on that. Same thing with Mongol. However, this new individual that Superman has no idea about, completely alien, Superman goes to great lengths to try to communicate with him. And I think that's a solid character development illustrated by Bendis for Superman. Great art. I'm even willing to forgive the fact that Bendis apparently thinks the Phantom Zone is the negative zone. Something seems off about his Phantom Zone. They're solid in the Phantom Zone, and you're not solid in the Phantom Zone. You move ghost-like. That's why it's called the Phantom Zone. What's his name? Kazar or whatever. Not Kazar, but Kazorn or whatever the first inhabitant of the Phantom Zone is. Mm -hmm. it, it was a funny scene where Superman opened the exit for the alien, and the other guy, the bad guy, screamed freedom and ran toward it. Superman just grabbed him and threw him back in and said, not for you. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to be able to do that in the Phantom Zone. You're supposed to be uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's, that's changed over the years. It may have, but I've... That's not a new thing the men's is doing. Well, then all you're doing is, you know, you're tossing them into a bad neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> I gave the writing a four, the art of five, and the dynamic a four. My score for this issue of Superman was 4.3. Yeah, that's my score. I'll give it that. Albert, I just think you're wrong. And to round out the DC Comics this evening, Green Lantern number nine, writer Grant Morrison, artist Liam Sharp. Is it evident to you that Grant is writing meta-commentary on the current situation going on inside physical DC Comics? He's been doing that like most of his run, hasn't he? Well, he, he did it blatantly a couple of times where his book got reduced by a few issues with Didio. But now he's pretty much, I mean, he's, in some cases, I think he's even having them drawn into the issue. Yeah. He's doing this so brilliantly that the higher-ups can't really tell what's going on. They're going to look at this and think it's more Morrison conceptual crap that preening fanboys like. They're right. It is. They're just not able to tell that they're the ones that are... <laughs> being written about in this conceptual crap. Hyperman or whatever his name is, then the uh, Universe 11 versions of the characters. He's writing these actual Green Lantern issues with scathing commentary on what's happening within the walls of DC. This is a catch-22. Because of the way he does this, typically Morrison in his later years here is not necessarily for everybody. And this book is definitely not accessible by everyone. No. It's not for people who want that quick, two-dimensional, good guy, bad guy fix at all. If you're as bad as we are and are following the news from inside DC Comics office and all, and you sit down and read this book, it's hard not to see what's going on with it. I agree. Well, this is your favorite book, though, isn't it, currently? Uh, for DC, it is. Yeah, yeah. easily. 
And Liam Sharp continually, I guess he sort of outdoes himself whenever he gets a chance to. Yeah, Liam Sharp can do any art form. Yeah, like even even this one issue, he changes his style up continually. And and, I mean, purposefully, it fits the story perfectly. Yeah. It fits the story perfectly. It works really well. And it's a good story. Again, Grant Morrison's Green Lantern has never been for just everybody. If you like Grant Morrison's stuff, if you like meta, formats, if you like conceptual crap, <laughs> then it's definitely for you. And I've, I've definitely been enjoying it. I'm just kind of scared that Grant may not be getting any offers from DC for a while, which I'm sure Grant will be okay with, but still. Why does he have a goatee? Why are his eyes black? I gave the writing a five. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a three. My score on it was four. I gave it straight fives. Image Comics, Kick-Ass versus Hit-Girl. <laughs> yeah, I got that right. I almost said Hit-Ass versus Kick-Girl. <laughs> Number mm. one, writer Steve Niles, artist Marcelo Frusen. Oh, this was a lot of nothing. Look, the problem with this is that without Mark Miller on it, and more importantly, Mark Miller giving a damn about it, it loses all momentum. And it becomes another generic badass vigilante versus the world book. And we've got plenty of those. And I can't recall one of them standing out, especially not this one. Yeah, and they don't even fight in this comic either. It's all set up. And when they do fight, are you going to give a damn when they fight? Not do really. You, do you care? The original Kick-Ass miniseries, the six-issue miniseries by Mark Miller and John Romita Jr. was well done. It had a, a enough unique little twists and turns in it, and it was a nice self-contained story that there's no way in hell they were going to let it stay self-contained once the money started rolling in on it, and then the movie, and then this and that, so we got to keep it going. The Kick-Ass franchise to me is bland and forgettable now, and it's not recognizable past the yellow and green costume. Well, I gave this book straight ones, so... That's fair enough. I gave the writing a two, the art a two, and I gave the dynamic a one. My score was 1.7. It has nothing to do with the characters or anything. It has some, you have to care. And I don't care anymore about this. I haven't cared since the first Kick-Ass. And that's because the rest of them have just been rolled out to keep this franchise going in case somebody wants to toss a Netflix deal their way or something. Marvel Comics. Taskmaster, number one. Writer Jed McKay. Art by Alessandro Vitti. Uh, I thought it was funny, entertaining, and engaging. Almost what a comic should be. (laughs) Yeah, I was surprised. I'll agree with that for the most part. Taskmaster, back in the day, started off as a serious, no-nonsense individual. Over time, he's developed a sense of humor, and he's more like a gun for hire. This is in large part thanks to his multiple appearances in Deadpool comics, some other places as well. So he's not his be-all, end-all of villain when he shows up, he's a force to be reckoned with. They haven't made him less serious in what he can do. They've just made him a little more human. And I get the feeling I'm going to enjoy this Taskmaster overall more than I'm going to enjoy the one in the movie, Black Widow, that's coming up. Which Is, is he clearly- in Black Widow? I thought he was yeah. in Winter Soldier and Falcon. No, he's no, in Black I'm Widow. Sure he's in Black Widow. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's why Black Widow is in this book, too. This is It's been so long since I've shown anything of this, any of that stuff. I don't remember. Yeah, they've just stopped showing previews. There's a lot of talk about things going on. We're just not seeing anything. He's witty. He's entertaining. He's engaging. The book is entertaining. Look, you want to be entertained? I think this is an entertaining comic. If you want to know about Black Widow and Taskmaster 
in the standard Marvel comic book universe, this is a good place for it. I really liked this book until Black Widow revealed herself. Well, she didn't much reveal herself, as um, Nick Fury pointed it out well, to. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Like, it just seems mm. like they could have done more with that than just say, oh, it's Black Widow, whatever. Well, the whole point is, again, it's the rule at Marvel. Have something on the shelf resembling the movie. Yeah, you know? although... See, I'd rather the miniseries be just like Bullseye and Taskmaster. Mm -hmm. Just go around and get hired by different people for different reasons and have to compete against each other. God, that'd be entertaining. We're not too far gone for this, but we've just got this first story arc with the supposed may or may not be dead somewhat main character. Yeah, I don't like that. Well, we don't know that that's what happened yet. This could all be a setup for something else. Well, I hope not, because I just think it's, I don't see why they have to to kill off characters. You know, in comic books, they come back. Well, I don't like that either. We may find out she, uh, we may. <laughs> All right, spoiler alert. The comic book revolves around the death of Maria Hill. Somebody's trying to frame Taskmaster for it. Black Widow is going after Taskmaster because she thinks he killed her. Yes, Sandra, she, even if she is dead, and I don't think she really is, I think this is a setup, and Nick Fury is angling some sort of situation here with Taskmaster. But even if she is, we could find out she's a mutant, and she could get reincarnated on Krakoa. Ah, good lord. And, and join Scott, Wolverine, and Jean in bed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think the comic book's worth their money. I gave the writing a four. I gave the art a three and the dynamic a three. My score was 3.3. I gave the writing a four and art and dynamic. I'll give art a three on dynamic. I guess I'll, I, I, I should give it two for Black Widow, but I'll give it, I'll give it three. I was kind of thinking that to myself earlier when I was looking over it, but I don't, I know Taskmasters in the Black Widow movie. I see them put a Taskmaster comic book on the shelves. Clearly, this is what's happening. I'm not. Yeah, that's the point of it, and I understand it. But they also could have gave Taskmaster a better costume in the movie. Oh, I got some. <laughs> well, let me ask you both. <laughs> the pirate boots and the cape yeah, the are a bit much, boots. don't you think? <laughs> I wonder. No, but one. in the movie, there's a video game called Crisis. There's several of them. He just looks like the dude from Crisis. <laughs> I'm going to give it a four on the writing, a four on the art, and a two on the dynamic, just because I don't like this death thing. But no, it was entertaining. But it may be a part of the story. She may not be dead. In fact, I'm I'm taking bets now that she's not dead. Does any government spook ever die in a comic? Yeah, no, they just have to replace the Watcher for two and a half years. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> So. <laughs> Don't even get me started. <laughs> you say two and a half years. That's been like 10 years ago. Uh, not 10 years, but yeah, it's been a little while. Yeah. It's been longer than two and a half years. I got a question for both of you here. And this is where I think that Jed McKay may have overstepped his bounds a little bit. Could have probably worded it better. Is Black Widow a deadlier killer than Elektra? Well, MCU, yes. Well, Marvel Cinematic Universe, but in the comic books. I just don't think that's right. I don't think... I think the word they should have used could have been skilled. Yeah, they could have reworded it a little bit better, but I don't think Black Widow's up there with Electra Nachos the Assassin. I mean, you remember when she first showed up, she was referred to as the Assassin. I know Black Widow has a... Uh, <clears throat> read in her ledger. I just don't think she's the killer that Elektra is. And then they throw out Winter Soldier more dangerous than Winter Soldier, more dangerous than Elektra. It, it, where is Wolverine in this stack? Well, he, the, the, it don't matter who they throw out. When it comes to that 
level of character as far as their abilities go. Yeah. I mean, Punisher's the top of the list. None of them compare to Frank Castle. Well, Wolverine. Well, he's a little longer. Yeah, but he's a mutant. So it's not, I'm, th- I'm not talking you're, you're about just talking some dude average. That, can be, yeah. that can cheat. Okay. All right. Just like Winter Soldier, there's a, a portion of Black Widow's life that she was basically a Russian assassin, wasn't she? Yeah, she's a Russian I, spy. Yeah, yeah but she Russian. was like semi brainwashed, I guess, or. Yeah, but I'm yeah. saying program the some excuse. I'm saying that she's got the skills, even if she doesn't. I mean, listen, they I all had say, sex with a blind guy. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, but if we're going to go down that path, let's be honest here. She was a Russian spy a Russian when she spy first showed up in the more 19th, than a Russian assassin. Yeah, a Russian spy that true American Tony Stark sexed into capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> so, Taskmaster, worth your money, we think. I, I would say yes. <laughs> Yes. Because okay. more than yes, my dynamics, low dynamic score is just mainly due to my personal preference for not liking characters killed off. Savage Avengers by Jerry Dugan and Patch Zercher. Art by Patch Zercher. This is the Avengers book. It crackles with awesomeness with every page turn, and Dugan knows these characters. I've said that before. I'm going to continue to say it because that matters. The interaction is as enjoyable as anything else going down in the book, and you're doing yourself a disservice by not reading this book. It's pure Marvel magic. It's fun. It's entertaining. If you read only one Avengers title, make this the one, and you will not be let down. It's all right. (laughs) It's better than all right, man. (laughs) It is a very good book. It is a very good book. Jerry Dugan's doing double duty on this and some of the mutant books. And so when Magic walks into the bar with Conan, that's just, that's awesome. That whole thing is. And they recruit Juggernaut. The dragon, I thought the Asgardian dragon was great. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this book is simply not called The Avengers. I don't know why this isn't The Avengers book. Is it because he keeps rotating the cast? I, I guess. I don't know. Conan's pretty much... I don't much, even know why it's called an Avengers book. It's a Conan book, isn't it? Conan's the only mainstay, but it's definitely not a Conan book. He's there, but he's there with everything else happening around him. More than anything else, Doctor Strange is the driving factor. He wasn't even in this issue, but he was in this issue. You know what I'm saying? He was the main motivating factor. But I love this book. I don't know, Sandra, how you don't love this book. Because I haven't read it? Did they make fun of Namor in an issue or something? No, they have not made fun of Namor. In fact, I'm kind of halfway waiting on Namor to show up in it sometime. I wouldn't be surprised if Namor showed up in it because the artist, Patrick Zercher, is a Namor fan. He's asked folks, who do they want to see next in Savage Avengers. But of course, that's been kind of ruined by that awful Serpent Crown book. Well, it's not just that. I mean, he's he's about to have to do the Phoenix Force, whatever the hell that is in the Avengers title. But the interaction, the conversation between these characters, I love this book. I look forward to this book every month. I gave this book straight fives. Albert, tell me why I'm wrong. It doesn't have Moon Knight taking over the world. <laughs> After he beat everybody using their own stuff. (laughs) Yeah. At no point does Moon Knight show up and take the gem of Satoric away from Juggernaut. (laughs) I give it straight force. Savage Avengers is a superhero team comic. It's probably the best one running out there. Uh, Not taking into account the X titles because you can't really, dear God, what would you call the, all of the X titles together as a group collaborative now, right? (laughs) 
Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, Savage, to me, Savage Avengers is, is less of a team team book. It's sort of. It's like a team con- up or two. Yeah. Connected, connected team ups. Yeah. Everyone just sort of does their own thing. And then at the end, they sort of come together. Then they go off and they split up and with other characters and do it again. Well, yeah, we got Magic and Conan going out to find Juggernaut in this issue. And I'm sure in the next issue, we'll have Black Widow going out to find Punisher like we were promised in the last issue. Jerry Dugan does a wonderful job with this. I would love to see Jerry Dugan on the regular Avengers title. I'd love to see what he could do with that. He keeps it fresh. He keeps it going. And this is a book when they pitched it and we saw the initial advertisements for it. I was not big on this idea at all. I was not, I was not, I was not. But I am now. Savage Avengers, number 14. Worth your money. Easily. Amazing Spider-Man number 51.LR and issue number 52 came out. We've got Harry Osborn has the demon kindred, right? Yeah, unless there's some other oddball twist in there. That seems to be the thing. I'm not caring much for the points, the point LR. I know they continue the story and all, but I think they should have been incorporated into the main issues. As much as I didn't like it originally, the way they're doing it, I like it better this way. Mm -hmm. The normal 52 is Spider-Man. Yes. Where the point LR is the other spider characters and whatnot doing their thing with Doctor Strange or Black Cat, Black, Black Cat. So Mary it, Jane and Osborne. To me, it helps. It sort of divided if it divided up a little bit better. Is it a big event on the last page of Amazing Spider-Man number fifty-two? Yes or no? Is this some uh, mulligan? Is this some sort of mislead or what? What do you make of that? No, no. It's we have to spoil it. Uh, okay. Once again, major spoilers for this. At the end of issue number 52, what happens, Albert? Kendrick kills Peter. By snapping his neck. Yeah. But my view on that is Kendrick goes in the afterlife with him, and then they probably come back at the same time. Yeah, could do something like that. All of this ties in. You're kidding yourself if you don't think Kindred has something to do with Mephisto. Sooner or later, Mephisto's tying into this. They've already been hinting at him in the background concerning the one more day situation coming up because they want Mephisto to be a big player in all of these situations. And I'm listening to the sound of my voice, and it sounds like I'm a little disappointed with it. I'm really not. I was disappointed that Kindred turned out to be Harry Osborne. I was a little bit disappointed at the last page because I guess what Sandra was saying earlier about Maria Hill, she doesn't like these characters being killed like that. I can buy this a little better because it was done so dramatically. Any Spider-Man, we know we're not about to lose Peter Parker. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all part of the plot. It's not like we're going to get Superior Spider-Man or again out of it or anything. And even in Superior Spider-Man, he didn't die. It was just this whole convoluted situation. They've got a backdoor built into this. I'm still liking Nick Spencer's run. It getting a little more meta. Things are picking up a little bit. I gave the writing a four. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a three because I wasn't exactly jumping up. The dynamic is just okay to me. Are are we reviewing both issues together? Yeah. Both issues together, I give like writing, I guess, a four. As much as I think they've drugged this kindred stuff out, the the writing's still good. I give the art and dynamic a three. So I gave it a 3.7 and you gave it a 3.3. Yeah. It's still an interesting Spider-Man story. He's doing, I want to say he's doing different things with it, but he's he's doing similar things in a bit of a different way. So I'm still on board for the ride on this one. 
And to round out the Marvels this week, Marauders number 15, Excalibur number 14, Wolverine number 7. This composed parts 14, 15, 16 of the Ten of Swords saga. The talent on the books are Jerry Dugan, Tenny Howard, Ben Percy, Phil Noto, Josh Cassara, Stefano Caselli. And it turns out that this entire situation is not at all as advertised. <laughs> <laughs> it has very little sword fighting in it. And that's a good thing. I, as a matter of fact, that's a great, it's become unbelievably enjoyable to me with plenty of little twists, humor, and great shocks throughout. How much of this do you think is Jamie Braddock screwing around with stuff? I don't I, I mean, don't think Jamie, this is just plum goofy. I don't think Jamie Braddock's screwing around with a lot of things. You think all these, all this stuff's supposed to be this goofy? I think he may have done something with the Betsy situation. What are you calling Goofy? What do you think's Goofy about it? Like most of this crap. Like? like the arm wrestling competition, the drinking, the swapping Wolverine out with the dude. The- uh, now, now that we saw coming. We knew Wolverine made a deal. That just makes me like Wolverine's new bad guy even better. Like, I'm not going to do this. Call in my boy. <laughs> the marriage and all that stuff. So. Well, we knew about the romantic liaison between I think I think Jamie Braddock could be screwing around with some stuff. Does he have that level of power? I think the whole I think the whole reason that Jamie Braddock is confined to Otherworld is that his power is curtailed there. I mean, he could warp reality, can't he? Well, in Otherworld, that doesn't quite work. Maybe not. I don't know. Sandra, what are you what what's your opinion? I thought he was dead. No, no, no he's, he's like some king. Yeah, he's king of a land, of one of the lands in Otherworld. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, wasn't he dead before that? Probably. Yeah, he's, been, he's been dead a couple of times. When he showed up in Excalibur way back when, Claremont was writing it, his neck had been broken and his body was distorted. Hmm. But okay. he was manipulating the reality around himself. I like the way it's going because we expected Magic to go in there and beat Pog, Og, Pog, or whatever his name is because she's Magic. She's going to go in there and kick his butt. But we've got a situation where the contest comes down to the fact that, no, it's not a sword contest. It's an arm wrestling contest. And he cheated. How did he cheat? He said one and bam. He he did, he said the one, didn't he? Well, I thought they counted off. They did, but didn't he say the one? Yeah, I think he did. I think he did. But anyway, I mean, still, she wasn't going to win an arm wrestling because she said it when she got up there. This is the equivalent of seeing who can take the biggest shit. She actually <laughs> says that. <laughs> the Wolverine thing where he has to pay the debt that he owes the, uh, I forget the name of his new bad guy, but I'm liking this new bad guy. Of course, we see the aftermath of Wolverine attempting to kill Saturnine. I thought that was great. I thought the conclusion to the banquet was wonderful. I'm actually coming around to appreciating Saturnine, the more that she's written like this. There's wonderful little scenes like Apocalypse sitting across the table from his wife while everybody's fighting in the background. He says, you've done a wonderful job with the children. Albert, are you not liking this? Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was great. I just think there's something right. else going on. I think, well, I think something's going on. So. Clearly, Betsy is not dead. Okay. What happened? The sword's shattered. And so then, she shattered with it? Yeah, for whatever reason. And they can't figure it out. And Saturn 9 had it cleaned up so quick. She dismissed Saturn 9, immediately dismissed everybody from the arena and gave specific orders collect all the pieces that belongs to me. So Saturn 9 was behind that more than Jamie, I yeah. suspect. And that line to Brian about if you just pull the sword out and do what you're supposed to do. This is awesome sauce. It's not as advertised, and that's a very good thing. 
I think this is worth your money. I think the whole saga is worth your money. This has been very enjoyable so far. I'm going to go so far to say I think it's the best cohesion in an inner book crossover that I think I've read in comics. It's pretty well put together. They do a good job of keeping it all in line with each other. You're not missing a beat. You don't feel like you're missing it. No. Like each part is the part it's supposed to be. So you have to read it in order because everything comes after the next one. It's brilliant. It's well done. It's well put together. I gave these three books together, the writing of five, the art of four, the dynamic of five. My score for it was 4.7, and that's on Marauders, Excalibur, and Wolverine. Yeah, I'll give it that. The art would have been fives across the board, except Excalibur wasn't up to par with what we saw on Wolverine and Marauders, I didn't feel. Definitely continue to pick up Ten of Swords, and uh, yeah, we're all enjoying that. Sandra, how are you enjoying Ten of Swords? Well, covers are nice. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think about the Namor scene at the banquet? Namor scene in the Swords book, even though he's a mutant that has his own damn sword. So, Sandra, you're you're up on House of X, Powers uh, of X, House I of Ten, read, Powers of Ten. Uh, yes, I did read Hawks Pots. Yes, uh, and really liked it. It was great. But then I expected good things from Jonathan Hickman. So now I can move on and try to catch up on some of the other titles. You're almost in time for the conclusion of Ten of Swords. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, then I'll have that other event to read, too. (laughs) I've seen a lot of people bitching about Hickman's X-Men, and they're coming out with an X-Men book that covers or elaborates on some of the loose plot lines left dangling by Claremont, Lobdell, Jim Lee, and a lot of them from the 90s, and has creators from the 90s coming in to do the storylines. I look forward to that as well. But a lot of fans have been complaining about Hickman's X-Men. Now, I honest to God, this this seems to me to be a natural evolution for X-Men. Albert has said repeatedly, and especially on earlier podcasts, dear God, everybody that comes on board the X-Men just does their version of the same stories over and over again. Well, we're not getting that here. We're getting the characters we know and love with the character traits that we're accustomed to, but we're actually moving in a new direction for once. So this feels like the natural evolution to the Claremont era of X-Men. At least it does to me. Yeah. And you're talking to somebody who the X-Men, for the majority of my life, was second only to Star Wars. My view on the X-Men is that Grant Morrison came on New X-Men. And he did all the old Claremont stories. And after that, that should have been the end of that. Then you had Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, which was different from Morrison's X-Men, but it did carry that stuff on. But after that, you really didn't have much for a long time. They're just generic average books. So to me, something like this should have been done after Whedon. I agree wholeheartedly because, you know, Whedon was not going to be on it forever. And we were lucky to get the two years that he did stay on it. That was different enough. But Hickman's moving it in the right direction. The name of the book I'm talking about is X-Men Legends, and Chris Claremont's coming back to write some stories, as well as a bunch of the other creators. He's also doing, I think, some kind of annual Claremont is. Is it Larry Hammond writing one? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Greg Booth. Greg Booth, his first name? Brett Larry Booth Hamm- is doing the art, Brett Booth. which, Brett Booth. which yeah. should be perfect since everybody's complaining about him being like a 90s-style art. He's still good. He's still damn good. Yeah, he, right. he's great. He does a yeah. lot of stuff. You see, he's been trying the, to get back on yeah. Marvel books for a while. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be a lot easier now if they have an interest in... Well, it's not going to be easier, but... I think there's going to be a lot of DC art artists and writers trying to get back to Marvel now. Since the line is shrinking for DC, 
Chris Claremont, Larry Hama, Louise Simons, and Peter David, Fabian Nacieza, and Brett Booth. And that's that's solid. I'm A-OK with them doing an X-Men Legends book for people who want to relive the old stories. And, and don't get me wrong, I'll pick it up. And hell, I may even get the hardcover and put it on the shelf too. But the X-Men have got to move forward, and Hickman knows that. Hickman is the one moving them forward. Yeah, I can appreciate both. I've often said one of the nice things about the White Queen, about Emma Frost, is that she's gone from being the White Queen of the Hellfire Club, the headmistress of the Massachusetts Academy. She's always been the same character. At no time did she apologize for strip, storm, naked, hung her up on a truss and beat her with a whip to get information out of her. She never said that. She's always been the same character, the same person that we're dealing with from her first appearance. Because that's her character. People don't necessarily change. The reason she's jumped from the Hellfire Club to the X-Men is out of necessity, out of a place of necessity, the need to survive and move forward. And it's the same thing with the Cyclops, except they don't do it as well with Cyclops because sometimes Cyclops makes really stupid decisions. Yeah. I also read something somewhere saying that if uh, Cyclops is your favorite X-Men, then you're clearly a cop. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, you know, I can't dispute that. <laughs> All right. Now, before we finish out the comic book section, we're going to do the points of interest. Comic books that we've read, scanned over, but didn't want to go uh, didn't want to go ahead and do a full review on. Just want to point it out to you in case you're interested. Darth Vader came out this week, the current issue written by Greg Pak. This is a wonderful book, outstanding Star Wars mythology, each issue of the standard Star Wars comic, and Darth Vader does nothing but strengthen the mythology. And in this issue of Darth Vader, he's abandoned on Mustafar. I won't get into the reasons why, because you need to pick it up and read it, but they actually pull an element that they cut out of the rise of Skywalker that Kylo Ren had an encounter with this creature on Mustafar, but they cut the scene out and went on with something else. They're putting a scene with Vader and this creature into the Darth Vader comic. It's really, really good. This is really solid stuff. So do check out Darth Vader by Greg Pak. I'm also going to say maybe check out Penultimate Man, number one and two, by writer Tom Payer and artist Alan Robinson. It's another one of those Superman takes. It can get tiresome, the different versions of Superman and what have you, but every now and again, one of them stumbles across an interesting psychological aspect of Superman that can't really be explored in Superman's comics or that they're never going to explore in Superman's comics. And I think Tom Payer may be onto something here, but I stop short of saying, oh, it's a must-have. It's just something that if you're interested in the Superman connection to things like Invincible and the many, many, many alternate realities, Superman's, Hyperman, Hyperion, so on and so forth, then maybe take a look at Tom Payer's book. The okay. second issue of Kieran Gillian's and Jason Burroughs' Warhammer 40K, Marnius Calgar. Is that right, Albert? Marnius Calgar? Marnius Calgar? I'm not sure Marnius Calgar? Well, whatever. If you like the first one, I think you'll like this one. It had a great twist. At the end, I thought that I did not expect. I, I mean, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I agree. I didn't care for issue one, but issue two was a lot better. Mm -hmm. And it did have a really good twist and everything on the end of it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Let's see. What was the other one that we read? Uh, Iron Man 3. Um, that, that, oh, no, no, they're not publishing an Iron Man comic. You're mistaken. What? 
It's a Corvac comic. It's a what? A Corvac comic, yes. What did you think about Iron Man? I think it was better than the second issue, but it's still... Gosh, so whiny. It's not, it's not my cup of tea. Unless you like Hellcat. I did think it was kind of cool that he's like using all these old Iron Man characters that I don't think we've seen in quite a while. How but did yeah. he not notice that was Korvac? I don't think he looks like Korvac, does he? I like yeah, I guess he don't. I guess he don't. Yeah. He failed to notice it through the power of poor writing. <laughs> I probably won't continue on with this. I mean, I do like Patsy Walker, but it's not something. Why are you recommending this if you're not going to continue on with this? This is points of interest. Oh, I I thought it was points of interest, not recommendations. Well, it's look, you might want to take a look at this. I like, for instance, Penultimate Man. I'm not ready to tell people to run out there and buy it. And it's not we're not to a point where I want to put a grade on it or anything. But you know what? This may be pretty interesting. I find it mildly interesting and I'm looking at it. Pick it up and take a look at it in the comic book shop instead of this book is absolute crap. The writer is absolute crap. I'm not continuing on with it, but. Maybe you should. I didn't say it was absolute crap. But yeah, but okay, you were thinking this, it. We all know you were thinking it. <laughs> I say that. I said I like Patsy Walker. I liked. There's things I liked about it. I like the old Iron Man pose. It's really just a Patsy Walker book, but she's not in it much. If what's his ass has a Patsy Walker fetish, why not just give him a Patsy Walker book? Because right. no one would buy buy a Patsy exactly. Walker book. I don't know. What else do you have, uh, Albert? I read American Vampire, number two. American Vampire, 1976, number two. Still a good book. Explain a little bit more with some of the characters. This is not even remotely a jump unknown point for this book. I've read Flash 765. Yeah. This continues the Dr. Alchemy's story. Uh, the story and writing's okay, but the artist does a great job. All right, let's do a couple of emails here. Stan, Albert, and Sandra, thanks for your entertaining information, insights, and idiosyncrasies. Kingdom Casts. <laughs> That's what it says. Kingdom Casts. Kingdom- I'm sorry. I'm no just problem. assuming that by idiosyncrasies, he means my idiosyncrasies. I was assuming that too, Sam. <laughs> that and Albert. I think we, you know, I think we've all moved on from the what the hell is wrong with Stan phase. And uh, <laughs> although we got one of those, we got another one of those coming up too. Okay. Kingdom Casts is a welcome distraction in the strange times that are the year 2020. And believe it or not, I still feel like I learned something new every episode. Wow. That's awesome because I'm not. Since the closing of Kingdom Comics, I've missed the store, Stan, and Albert a great deal. I believe I was a customer for around 15 years. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much true. I came to think of it as my cheers. I didn't have to say a word upon entering. Like Sam behind the bar pouring a favorite drink for a regular, someone would grab my pull list, hand the books to me, help me find whatever else I might be looking for, or simply let me wander, staring at cover art for as long as I had time to spare. I do not remember crossing paths with Sandra. <laughs> Ever hang out by the aquarium? But I feel... <laughs> But I feel like we would have been great friends if we had, in spite of her unhealthy Namor fetish. <laughs> Just kidding, Sandra. Namor is great is a great character and deserves better than he's gotten from Marvel. Thank that's you. That's the Thank that's you. the email writer's opinion, not mine. <laughs> We know. (laughs) I gave up on collecting comics. Oh, that's sad. I gave up on collecting comics soon after the store closed as I just could not find great customer service or book availability at another site in the area. However, I have enjoyed keeping up on the news 
with the general quality, quantity, and overall industry your podcast provides. The other news and opinions on entertainment of other forums is also entertaining and informative as well. Thank you for this continued service and making it all fun. Well, you're quite welcome, and thank you. This was from Jody the Jodester, the J Meister. Albert, you remember him as Jody Clark. Yeah, yeah. I remember Jody. Thank you for such uh, a nice That was a nice thing to say. Yeah. I appreciate it. It very was. Now, he did go on because one of the things he was writing in about, we asked for people to send in recommendations to stores, to comic book shops. Basically, we've kind of laid out the parameters for that a little bit more. When somebody sends in a recommendation for a comic book shop, what we do is we're going to go online, we're going to research it through a few sites and make sure that we're not being spammed by the comic book shop or something, not that we expect to, and just kind of follow up. And then when we can, we'll give a shout out to that comic book shop in that area. But Jody here, Jody said that even though he's not doing comics anymore, he is still doing gaming. And he did want to give a shout out to Gear Gaming in Hoover. And yeah, we don't even have to research this. We know those guys at Gear Gaming. They are awesome. So just Google them, look them up on Facebook. That's Gear, G-E-A-R Gaming. They are an outstanding crew there. They're the premier gaming shop Easily within the area, probably within the state. Wouldn't you think so, Albert? Uh, Yeah. Go by Gear Gaming and uh, tell Trey and them that Jody and Kingdom Casts sent you. That was wonderful. It was very nice of Jody to say. We appreciate hearing from him. And now on the other end of it, we've got an email from Mason who says, I want to be clear. I'm asking this to Sandra and Albert, not to Stan. (laughs) I would prefer Stan not give his opinion on this. (laughs) Sandra, Albert, how much of what comes out of Stan's mouth does he actually believe? (laughs) I'd say about 32%. 32%? That's awfully high. (laughs) Sandra, you want to answer the guess? I'm going to go with 25, 25%. That's <laughs> still sounding awfully high to me. Where am I getting all of this from? What am I doing? I listen to the podcast. I sound like a perfectly reasonable individual. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> anyway, Mason thanks us for the podcast, says he's enjoying it. You know, just, you know, just save you kissing up for Sandra and Albert Mason. I don't give a damn. <laughs> Okay, well, I just want to say one thing about sure. uh, about Jody's Jody's letter is I agree with him a hundred percent about missing the shop and the feeling it is of like Cheers of going in and, and just shooting the shooting the breeze, even if it wasn't about comics. So a lot of times it was about comics because I actually left Birmingham before y'all closed the shop, and it was it was very painful. <laughs> yeah, he's a hundred percent right. It was a great a great shop. You guys. Uh-huh. Well, thank you. Thank you. We, we appreciate it. Nothing like walking in and getting that warm, fuzzy feeling when Jason looks at you and says, what the hell do you want? <laughs> you again? <laughs> I've, got, I've got 15 minutes left before I leave and Albert takes over. Could you like come back? <laughs> <laughs> I never had that experience. Thank you. No, nobody did. Jason was not like that. We over-exaggerate. <laughs> <laughs> We might have grunted a little bit at you when you came in, but. (laughs) (laughs) 
there was that time this young woman came in. I was in the doorway in the back and Jason was in the doorway in the back office with me. And I saw that young woman come in and I looked at Jason and I said, quietly, where none of the customers out there could hear me, I said, that's a friend of my wife's. Please be extra nice to her. <laughs> and I started, I was, I was setting something up on a shelf or something, and it didn't even occur to me what the hell I had said. And Jason walks about halfway out onto the floor, and then somebody else walks into the door. And in the middle of the floor, he turns around, uh, around all the other customers, and he yells back to me in the office. He says, somebody else just walked in. What level of nice would you like me to be to them? <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny, funny little. <laughs> Kingdom Cast is going to defer a lot of the Star Wars discussion over to the Force Feed podcast, which we've been working on for a little while now and we've got coming up. So we'll do a lot of the Mandalorian discussion over there, but that won't keep us from discussing it here. Once Sandra finally gets caught up to the last, what will be three episodes this Friday, we're going to defer the in-depth discussion on the Star Wars and Darth Vader comics over to Force Feed as well. That's just a little side technical note. I'm trying to think, what have I watched? Other than the Mandalorian, I don't know that I've watched that much this week. Did you, did you watch Pennyworth. Oh, on right. Epics? Oh, yeah. I saw some of Pennyworth. I saw like half of it. Okay. And I did kind of lose interest in that. Wasn't your cup of tea. I think there was more scheduling situation going on with it. And it was also coming out when every major movie was coming out at the same time. The palette was kind of full there. And so that some things fall by the wayside with me. Like there's two or three comics that I want to go back that I know have ended. Albert, remember the one with the... It was the comic book where the Arthur was living in the woods in a cabin in the woods, and this guy comes up on this cabin. Yeah, has, the conspiracy book. Yeah, and I can't remember the name of it. I've got to go back and check our episode notes so I can come back and listen. I'd, I'd like to find out how that ended. And there's several other books like that. But sometimes, especially with COVID, there are some things that just disappeared from the board and that I just haven't got back to. Pennyworth was not bad. It's just that. It got lost in the shuffle with me. Well, I mean, that happens to me on several shows. I'm watching that HBO show with Nicole Kinnaman, but I wouldn't really recommend it. Yeah, and I think people, I'm not going to say I recommend Britannia because it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. But if you watch the first episode and get then yeah, go ahead. Did you say you, you watched that show, Stan? Yeah, The Undoing. Yeah, I've been watching Undoing. I just haven't seen the uh, third episode. Okay. I'll tell you this. I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this where we don't get another what the hell is wrong with Stan letter. <laughs> that scene in the first episode where the young woman walks up to Nicole Kidman at the gym completely naked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've both seen that? Yeah. Now, I know Nicole Kidman's an actress and all, but for some reason, to me, she really conveyed being uncomfortable in that situation. It was noticeable. Most of the time... You're watching something like that, and you see a scene like that. The reaction is almost an overreaction. But Nicole Kidman's slight movements and such, trying to not seem intimidated or put off, but at the same time, trying not to stare directly at her. Nicole Kidman was making me feel uncomfortable for her, which is what a good actor does. (laughs) What's wrong with Stan? (laughs) I mean, it has nothing to do with... I think that was the whole case with everything with that character. Like when she, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the blonde did it. With the the what? 
You know, the friend? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. I think she did it. They keep bringing her up for pretty much no reason at all. Well, that could be it. They could be singing. Now, I haven't seen the third episode yet. Yeah, when I saw that scene, also, I was thinking, this is Nicole Eyes Wide Shut Kidman. So, she has an actress. God, I hate that movie. That's a brilliant movie, man. Kubrick, Kubrick was trying to tell us something in that movie. I mean, he was, but it's still not a way. What do you think he was trying movie. to tell us? Because I've been trying to figure it out for ages. That Hollywood's a bunch of pedophiles. Where do you get that from this movie? There was no pedophilia in this movie. Because he couldn't make it that blatant. Well, if, because if he did it that way, then he wouldn't be able to get no actress for the movie. You know, so you think they had him killed? No. Because that's part of the big conspiracy is that he was killed for... And I don't believe it for an instance. I, I don't believe any of that. And I don't believe, of course, there are secret organizations of the high income people that meet and have orgies and strange masks that you have to have passwords to get in. That's just a part of life. People. Yeah, they go in the woods to do it. Yeah, I mean, there's no news here. <laughs> What's that thing called out in the woods that they go to? They go to? What do you mean? Like what they thing? get all these celebrities and rich people and they go, go to the woods and have a party, oh. but it's... Oh, you're thinking of one thing. That's the where they worship the owls, but that's yeah. all men. That's not women out there. And they do the ritual of the owls. That's where that's all part of uh, the Moloch uh, worship situation thing. That you know that that's not a secret either. And most of them just go out there to cut deals. And that's how Alex Jones got his start, wasn't it? Uh, I think because I think it, he got like some. Some yeah, video out of there. Or something? This was this was when Alex Jones was actually a serious individual before he went batshit insane. Yeah, uh, him and a British film crew from the BBC snuck in. I don't think they snuck in. Well, they snuck in in as much as they weren't supposed to be there, and they had somehow come across credentials to get in. One of the members had lent them credentials to get into it. They rode in on the bus with some of them. At different times, you see Bush, the different Bushes there. But this was a very serious. This is not the Alex Jones that you know today, Sandra. This is very early when Alex Jones may have actually turned out to have been a journalist at some point. Bohemian Grove is the That's name That's what it, it is. That's what it is. Yeah, where they do all the owl worshiping situation stuff, but it's mostly just for them to go out there, drink beer, and cut business deals, or so they'd have you believe. When you say cut business deals, do you mean cut cut up little kids? Uh. I no, that that's that's not at all what I was saying. At no time did Alex okay. Jones or the BBC get any footage of that. Okay. None of, none of this should shock anybody. Well, he, he confronted a, a politician on the street about it way back oh, then. Yeah. And that dude just sort of freaked out on him about it. Yeah, you weren't supposed to talk about it. Look, I've said a few times on the podcast, and I say almost every day in my real life dealing with people in my life, we're living a combination of 1984 and Brave New World. No, we're not we're not smart enough to do, to pull that off. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me get to what let me get to what I'm saying. Yes, we're being monitored all the time, but the question is, there's no one source monitoring us. There's several multiple sources monitoring us for a variety of different reasons, mostly to sell us crap. They're not concerned about our behavior in as much that our behavior leads us to buy whatever products they're pushing. Now, the Brave New World aspect comes in when Aladis Huxley had stated over and over again that you're inundated 
inundated with so much information from so many different areas that you can't possibly discern what's true, what's not true, what's important, what's not important, and what's relevant and what's not relevant. And that's the most dangerous part of what we're living right now. So back then, way back in the, I think it was the late 80s that Alex Jones and the BBC camera crew attempted to sneak into Bohemian Grove. So when he confronted some a politician back on the street then, then that was considered a secret. However, if you went up to that same politician now on the streets of Washington with the camera and said, tell me about Bohemian Grove, they'd say, <laughs> nothing, it's just a club and, and shrug and walk off. It wouldn't have the same impact on them now because we've got so much information, we can't tell what's useful and what's not. It's impossible to. One of the more dangerous parts of that is we've got so much information to deal with already that there may be important information. In fact, I know there's important information that's getting by us on a regular basis that we don't even know to look for. Like when the when they revealed that they saw flying saucers. That's it, too. Yeah, okay, there are UFOs out there. You got us. Well, here's the new season of Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then I said, no, you're not going to distract me that easily. You've just admitted to flying saucers, and I may love Star Wars, but I'm not going to get distracted from my goal. And then they said, look at these new Star Wars Lego sets. (laughs) And that was, I think, 2017. You're right on that. Nobody's questioning that. Nobody's questioning those things that moved around the moon. And I'm not, and now I'm sounding like a complete idiot again. I don't want to sound like an idiot, but there's something to a lot of this. I'm not saying we're being invaded by aliens. You'd have to go a long way to convince me that any civilization that could warp space-time to move the distances that you'd have to move to get here to begin with, to interact with us, you'd have to go a long way to convince me that they'd see us as anything significant whatsoever. I thought about this at one time. So just once when you say when you say that argument on that, you're making the argument that that race created that technology. And that may not be true. That could have just been a different race that had the hookup from another race. And they gave them the technology for them to go do that themselves. Okay, to try out your theory, let's go get like two dozen chimpanzees and turn control of a nuclear power plant over to them and well, see what happens. That doesn't mean you can't teach <laughs> the other race how to fly it or do whatever. They just didn't invent it. And there could be a lot of reasons they didn't invent it. It may use a certain element that's not available on that planet that's only available on the other planet. Let's condense the argument. Let's and Sandra, feel free to join in anytime. Uh, uh, <laughs> Yes. We want you on the record, too, when people start no. asking us about no. Bohemian Grove. <laughs> Let's condense your argument, Albert. Let's say that a guardian appears and hands you a Green Lantern ring. And it's a fully charged, ready to go, capable of everything you've ever seen in the comic books and oh so much more, Green Lantern ring, and you're able to use it. You've got the willpower to use it. But what interest would you have in a planet three sectors over that the cavemen have just discovered fire. What possible interest would you have there? There might be something on that planet. There's nothing on that planet. There's Plus, nothing on this planet you're that's observing, not... You're observing a race of living things on a planet that you didn't know was there. 
All right. So now you're a sociologist with the Green Lantern Ring. Is that honestly what you're going to do? No. And there's no resources on Earth or any other planet that's not bountifully found out there kind of free floating in the universe somewhere, if you know where to look. So this BS about them coming to Earth for water or needing humans for food or what any, yeah, that, that's not going to happen. They don't need Earth for anything at all. Because they have the rest of you the don't, You don't know galaxy. that. I'm fairly certain that, uh, <laughs> I mean, for instance, it rains diamonds on Saturn. There's plenty of helium out there. We're running out of it. We just can't recruit it. Every iron ore has been found to exist in remnants of, uh, you, you see, it's all out there. What interest could you possibly have that these hairless monkeys have managed to set up a communications network that enables them to. <laughs> well, see, Stan, you I don't know. You don't know any of that because you haven't met any of these beings and had a conversation with them. Nor am I going to. You it's don't know that either. You could. It's you a, could meet them. To maybe we've already met them, and they just wipe our memories from meeting them. It comes down to math. And the probabilities are just not there. And honest to God, if you've got that level of technology, you're not going to interfere with a civilization like the you know, like uh, like we have. You say math. I mean, look at the election. Clearly, math don't matter. No, that's that's politics. That's not <laughs> math. math. It's all numbers. What you're talking about is the level of probability, and inside of the universe, multiple probabilities can, given the size of the universe, multiple probabilities can become factions of reality. And that's not even going into alternate reality theories or what came before or in are we in an endless loop and so on and so forth. I could see a sentient species knocking an asteroid out of the way of, uh, on its way to hit a planet that has monkey men on it. But they're not supposed to do that. That breaks the prime directive. Okay, right there. That's Gene Roddenberry BS. <laughs> that's stuff we made up. But you're not going to consider whether or not the ants want to be moved when you move an ant mound. Sandra, I can't help but notice you're very, very quiet during all this. What do you know, Sandra, that you're not you're not telling? <laughs> no, I'm not gonna get involved with this conversation. Okay. <laughs> She's a librarian. What doesn't she know? <laughs> Are you familiar with Bohemian Grove, Sandra? No. Have you heard of it? No, you should not. look it up sometime. It's basic Moloch worship. They uh, they do these rituals there. Every powerful individual on the face of the earth, anybody that's got any money has ever been to it. I Somehow, though, I doubt that Elon Musk and, uh, say, Jeff Bezos gives a damn about going to Bohemian Grove. But you don't know that. They may. It used to be an old power factor thing where Nixon, the Kennedys... The Clintons, everybody went. They had their Bohemian Grove weekend. And years and years ago, again, it's not the Alex Jones you know. I mean, he's the same guy, but back then he wasn't. Crazy. What's the word? I'm, yeah. Yeah. He's not, he's not this nutcase that's screaming everything and anything out there. He's much closer to Joe Rogan back then than he is now. Oh. You don't like Joe Rogan? No. I don't like him either. That's odd. He's had nothing but nice things to say about the two of you. Joe Rogan doesn't know me. I was about to say. You don't think he's listening? <laughs> no, I, I, don't think I, he's I mean, listening. I doubt it. <laughs> That's great and all, but have you ever tried MDMA? <laughs> I've tried a bunch of things. I just don't talk about it. <laughs>
I also haven't made a career off of it either. Sandra, we say your name several times throughout the podcast, so it doesn't matter whether you chime in or not. CIA is still coming for you. <laughs> You're on that list right after Albert Marsh, pal. <laughs> so you may as well contribute to the conversation. Not not worried. Not worried. <laughs> no, no, I, no, no. You're mistaken. I, I'm a librarian. Here's my card. <laughs> So, yeah, no thanks. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up for this episode. Thank you all so very much. And again, I apologize for the pull list the last two weeks. We just couldn't avoid the circumstances, but we've already recorded pull list for this coming Monday night. And God help us, I'm going to do everything in my power to have it up after 10 p.m. Central on Monday night. So thank you all very much for listening. Thank you for supporting us. We we cannot thank you enough. Continue to let us hear from you. Send us emails. Emails, Kingdom Casts, that's Kingdom C A S T S at gmail.com, Kingdom Comics at gmail.com, Kingdom Casts, and Kingdom Comics on Facebook and Twitter as well. So join us there, send us whatever you want, let us hear from you. Even if we don't discuss your message on the air, we will respond to you personally. Again, continue. Y'all are wonderful. Man, Washington State. I don't know what in the hell is going on in Washington State or how bored they must be, but thank you all for tuning in. I mean, that's that is, y'all are just bopping right up that list of the number of listeners we have. Atlanta, continue to thank you. Birmingham, you know, Birmingham, really, we're right here. And and I know you, I know most of Birmingham feels that they can actually pick up the phone and call us, and you can, but uh, it doesn't hurt you to listen to the podcast more. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Great numbers from Birmingham there. Thank you all so very much. We greatly appreciate you. We don't understand why there's two people in Russia listening to us. And if you're up to something, please stop it. We're not at all affiliated with any politicians whatsoever. Every podcast has two Russians listening to it. I did. They must. I can't. That was becoming worrisome, too. I was like, the hell is this? This has got to be. This can't possibly be right. What appeal could we possibly have to two individuals on either end of Russia? <laughs> so thank you all very much. Continue to run down your friends and stick your ear pods in their ears. That's completely sanitary. You know, share with you, you know, group immunity, that sort of thing, and make them listen to us. You know, ask them, say, hey, do you listen to Joe Rogan? And when they say yes, say, this podcast has absolutely nothing to do with that, but listen to it anyway. You know, Dr. Phil has a podcast, too. Did y'all um, know that? About no. what? About murder. <laughs> That's all it is. Dr. Phil talks about murder nonstop. That's it. He's pulling from decades worth of murder cases, and he you know, chimes in and interviews, and he he's very widely listened to. Dex Shepard has a podcast, too. Huh? I thought Dr. Phil was the uh, advice guy. Yeah, he's a he's a pseudo-psychologist or whatever. Yeah, armchair psychologist. Yeah, he he is, but he also, his podcast delves into the human nature and human psyche. But mm. what it is, is it's frivolity and murder. You know, it's that titillation. It's why every other, it's, it's why we were watching the 48 hours where the guy kills his Russian bride and then goes to 4chan to find out how to time travel. <laughs> the real-life murder mystery stuff is, is real popular. I mean, as far as podcasts and stuff. Right. It is. Popular with white women. What? <laughs> Popular with white women. 
It no. is. It's all, all that crap is popular with white women. That is not true. Yes, we look it is for, true. We look forward to the influx from white women who like murder mysteries <laughs> of emails coming in after Albert's comment on that. But do let us hear from you. Let us know what's going on. We do have the Avengers special that we're working on. We hopefully will have that out the week of Thanksgiving or the week after Thanksgiving. Let us hear from you. Love us, hate us, indifferent to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, 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 and give us five stars. That helps us a great deal. Once more, thank you so very much. Sandra, you got anything to say to him? No, I don't think so. Now, I want you to acknowledge that you're a part of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the peanut gallery part of the podcast. Podcast. No, no. You, you're you're right here with me and Albert. They come for us. They come for you, pal. <laughs> Albert, have you got anything to say? No, I guess I'm upset enough to not. Albert, I want you to acknowledge that Sandra's part of the podcast. <laughs> it, it's important that we all hang together. In this. Is it? Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you Monday night with the return of Kingdom Cast's pull list and our regular podcast, of course, to be posted on Thursdays or Fridays. Thank you all so very much. Thank you for joining us. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Katrina Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved. CIA, they may be the ones that save us from all this. You never know.